0: Hey, welcome to another episode of the Armed and Ready podcast. I'm your host, Jason Wood, the VA loan guy. And today we have a great guest with us, Dennis Ferrara. And Dennis is a Navy veteran. He was um, an anti-sub warfare operator, and he is now in the IT world. Um, and we got to spend a little, little time together today, I wanted to share with you guys some of his experience and background and, and what he's up to nowadays. So, um, Dennis, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us this afternoon. You're welcome, Jason. Let yeah, go. it's great to have you on the show. You're welcome. So, um, as, as we, we ask all of our guests here, why did you join the Navy? Why did you get in the military?
1: So, I grew up in Strongsville, Ohio, a small suburb town outside of Cleveland, and um, I always wanted to see the world. I, was, I would characterize myself as a young, immature young man at 17, uh, growing up again outside of Cleveland, not knowing really what I wanted to do, if I wanted to pursue going to college, if I wanted to jump in some type of trade. And um, I'd always fantasized and, and uh, dreamed of seeing the world and reading National Geographic. And so I chose to join the Navy, an opportunity to um, leave Ohio see the world, potentially learn a skill or a trade, and uh, mature and grow as an individual.
0: That's great. So um, how long did you spend in the uh, Navy?
1: Four years, seven months, and 26 days. (laughs) (laughs) I I extended a little bit. uh, uh, My job, we we had an opportunity to learn some new systems and equipment, and uh, to do so and stay within my squadron, I had to extend. So My original enlistment was four years, but uh, tacked on an extra seven months or so uh, at the end of it.
0: That's cool. Okay. And so you were anti-sub warfare operator and you flew the P-3.
1: I was a computer operator, systems analyst on P-3 Orion's acoustic. Uh, Think of if you've seen Hunt for the Red October, Jonesy, who is uh, listening and backing the uh, Typhoon submarine. We did the same thing in the air. So the P-3 Orion is a four propeller prop plane based on an Electra airframe and, and uh, we flew all over the world. You know, is that the
0: plane. one with the big disc uh, on top of it?
1: It is not, that's a, a e, AWACS, AWACS plane. Ours has a long tail at the end of it and that was a mad boom for magnetic anomaly detection.
0: Okay, okay. And so when you guys are, were doing that stuff, were you flying low altitude, high altitude?
1: uh multi-altitude so you would search at a higher altitude and then you would locate and prosecute at a very low altitude typically you know easily two three hundred feet off of the ocean floor flying around like 300 knots rocking and wow. rolling and yeah so so a lot of good times very exciting um and got to see a lot of great places around the world
0: i bet i bet what um how, how big is the crew on that airplane uh
1: the crew is Twelve, five Five officers, seven enlisted uh, was back in the day. So this was in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And so gotcha. you had uh, three pilots, a navigator, a TACO, TACO coordinator that made up the officer component. And then the enlisted, you had three um, anti-submarine warfare operators, two acoustic, one electronic warfare that ran like ESM and radar. And then you had a technician that maintained and fixed any of the equipment and an ordnance man who uh, was responsible for buoys and things of that nature.
0: Wow, that's really cool. So um, flying around all over the ocean, you probably got to see and land in some pretty awesome places. Um, what were yeah. some cool places you got to visit?
1: Uh... Uh, A really cool place is uh, uh, Indonesia, Surabaya, Indonesia, small city, just uh, on the island of Java. Uh, If you know where Bali is, if you look on the main island of Java, there's a small little town called Surabaya. Actually, it's a big town, but it's probably like the second or third largest city in Indonesia. And it was the location of an old Russian Air Force base. And uh, the Indonesian government was looking into purchasing P3 Orions. And my crew, we were lucky enough to fly there with a government contingency, and uh, fly dignitaries from the Indonesia government around while they were assessing whether they were going to purchase the plane or not. And so we we were there for a week, 12 of us. We had our own hotel room, excuse me, our own floor of a Hilton hotel in Surabaya, and we had guards, and they took us out everywhere. But uh, yeah, it was very interesting. Got the royal treatment while you were there. The royal treatment. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, probably the most obscure, interesting place I've been. Yeah, but did they end up buying any airplanes? No, I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we went to Thailand after that. So, yeah, they just, you know, we were there for a week and then we had to go some other place.
0: Awesome. That's really cool. Um, so, did you get to spend any time um, in Hawaii or San Diego?
1: I did, um, you know, primarily the squadron was based out of Moffat Field, California, here up in the Bay Area, San, okay. San Jose Bay Area, but uh, obviously traveled to San Diego a lot for, for work and Hawaii, San Diego. I did um, Sierra School in San Diego, which was Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape School. It's a POW type school that um, people who are forwardly deployed, air crews that fly over, you know, uh, far away from base, uh, special forces, things of that nature attend.
0: Okay, okay.
1: That's and then cool. uh, Hawaii, obviously, transiting from from you know the mainland to forward Eastern Asian countries, we would right. fly through uh, Hawaii for sure.
0: Right now, did your guys' plane basically do like in-flight refueling, or were you guys able to land on carriers? Or
1: nope, we were too big, uh, but you know we carried a lot of fuel, and uh, we were able to be airborne for twelve plus hours. We would shut down an engine. When, when I was in it, you could shut down one engine called feathering an engine. I think some of the early uh, aircrew crew, crews could actually shut down two engines. Oh, wow. and that allows you to loiter and to conserve fuel and to extend uh, your, uh, your mission.
0: Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, nice. And so after your, your stint in the Navy, um, you got out, obviously went civilian. What was, what was the deciding factor to get out? Were you just kind of done? being in the military or is it something that kind of frustrated you or what was the change?
1: I knew it was going to be a very, uh, I knew one enlistment was probably the duration of my uh, service. I was looking to, to, to grow, to mature, uh, develop some skills, leadership skills, maybe maybe even develop a skill that would translate to the civilian world. Unfortunately, tracking Soviet submarines is not a job that uh, you find in the Mercury news or the LA times in the uh, employment section. But, you know, I was looking to, to, to develop some personal skills and to mature, and so uh, my plan was to get out of the service and eventually go back east where I'm from, and go to college. But uh, I ended up uh, meeting a woman, a young lady out here, falling in love, and uh, the rest is history. Never left Cal- never left California.
0: Got it. Okay, so you're up in the Bay Area right now, right? Kind yes. of the the heart of everything IT in our country, right? Silicon Ooh. Valley.
1: Silicon Valley, high tech area. Absolutely
0: and um, so you're you're in sales now, right? Um, yeah. And you had kind of an interesting path or an interesting story into that. So
1: share that with us. You know, so um as I was exiting the service, you know quickly recognized that I did not want to leave California, met a gal, and uh, wanted to start a life here, uh, potentially start a life with her, and you know, you need employment and uh, you need some education. And so I was going to junior college, and I had met a friend of mine in the service who was also following a similar path, and uh, he said, hey, the company I'm working for has, uh, has, an, op- has an opening for a driver, and uh, I ended up interviewing with the owner of the company, founder of the company, and uh, the job was to drive a delivery vehicle. It offered a lot of flexibility. The gentleman that owned the company, who turned out to be my lifelong mentor, Mark Klein, was an ex-Marine, Oh, cool. I was the only one who went to the job. Uh, they were interviewing multiple people, but I was the only one who uh, interviewed in a suit for a $6 an hour uh, driver job back in uh, you know, 1989, 88, whatever that year that was. And uh, ultimately they chose, uh, the, actually 1991 actually that was. And uh, ultimately uh, I got the job, uh, was able to go to school, and um, I was able to uh, take that initial Six dollar an hour driver position, and parlay that into a twenty nine year career with the company, and uh, now I manage all of the strategic accounts for a hundred million dollar plus regional technology bar MSP.
0: That's really cool. That's that's quite a progression. Now, for our listeners, some of them may not be old enough to know that um, when you were delivery driving, there was no GPS, and there was. <laughs> There was no Waze or Google Maps yeah, back then. None yeah, that, man. So you're in the San Francisco Bay Area trying to figure it out with a map.
1: That's exactly right. The old flip maps. Yep. You know, you would uh, look up an address. It would give you a coordinate, X, you know, Y coordinate, and you would drive it down. And you're like, okay, I think I know where that is. And, right. Uh, you know, enough to get you close enough.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I had, when I was in high school, I had a, a delivery job for a little bit and, um, and they got it easy today with technology. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember struggling to find some streets and some addresses back then, and I'm sure the Bay Area is just that much bigger than where I was from. So there are probably some points that was pretty tough.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of driving.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you moved up from there, and what was you know kind of the the transition from you know you started out as a driver, so you know entry level position, sure, and you know, now you're up, you know, at a a pretty top level sales position, but what was, you know, just getting from the driver to that next step, what was that?
1: Well, you know, again, ambition was a big part of it. I, um, I wanted more. Um, I was asking for more um, I had a mentor and the gentleman that hired me that 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 saw something in me and recognized that, uh, you know, this is a, I don't want to call it a foundational piece, but a, a block I could build upon to grow this company. These are the type of people I want in the company. These are the type of individuals that I think can help me take the company to the next level. And, um, you know, I, uh, I consider myself a people person. Um, people like to buy from people they like. Um, they also like to buy from people they trust uh like to buy from people they trust and and i believe i have that uh, that skill set and i have those characteristics personality characteristics and uh, for me i think it's just around hard work luck has nothing to do with it i used to think i was lucky but it you know it's not about luck it's about uh, being prepared it's about making choices that uh, alter your life every day whether it's you know small choices like what you're having for lunch to choices how you you know, do you put in that extra hour of work? Do you make that extra call? Do you send that extra email? Do you, you, know, do you have those types of things that uh, pay off later on down the road?
0: Right. Yeah. That extra, that extra oomph and drive. I, I tell, um, you know, the people that work in my organization, you know, do the do, don't worry about so much about the result in the outcome. As long as you're putting forth the effort consistently, which is the biggest key is that consistent effort, the results will come.
1: Yep. Do the right things a lot. Yeah,
0: exactly. Do the right things a lot. So um, so now you've you've worked way up and um what what kind of things did your mentor teach you that um stuck with you and, and you t- teach to others now?
1: Accountability. Hold yourself and others accountable, make good choices. Yeah. Um, and then always make a decision. There are worse things than making no decision, you know, making the wrong decision. No decision is worse than making the wrong decision, is what he, what he always preached. And, you know, so I've taken that to whenever there's an opportunity where I have to make a decision, um, I make it. Sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, but I quickly make a decision and we move on from there. And if it's correct, we reap the rewards. If it was an incorrect decision, we alter our strategy and we uh, recover, recover from it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's really nice. Um And um, so um, you've been with this company since you got out of the Navy, right? You yeah,
1: haven't. You yeah, haven't- we oh. were. Uh, when I joined the company, we had uh, maybe seven employees. OK. Our revenue was approximately a million dollars a year. And uh, we were selling round reel tape and tape products for backups. Uh, if you ever, you know, the, the oh, round roll. computer reels and disk packs and things of that nature. And our business has evolved uh, tremendously, and uh, change has been constant yep, for nice. the last 30 years. And one of the reasons I've stayed, obviously, um, uh, I'm invested in the company. I've had an opportunity to uh, help drive the direction, strategy of the company as we've evolved. Uh, my role has changed throughout the you know the 30 years. But uh, what has kept me here is the change. It's stimulating, and um, if you're in the high tech field, and if you're in Silicon Valley, you recognize, or I guess anywhere in the globe right now, change is a constant and you have to adapt and evolve. And if you don't, uh, you're going to be in trouble.
0: Yeah. Well, especially the the speed at which the technology changes now. Um, you know, it seems that every year the technology changes that much quicker, right? Yeah. And evolves that much more. Um, so it's, yeah, there's it's always constant change. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's an attractive thing, you know, for a lot of people in, in seeking out kind of a career is something that you know, isn't a mundane, repetitious thing day in and day out.
1: Yeah. Right. We're 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 fighting um being obsoleted. You know, I don't want to say daily, but it's it, it is the reality, of the situation that we have to evolve or we will be obsolete.
0: Right. Yeah, and with as quickly as technology evolves, that's super pertinent. I mean, for every technology company, yeah. not just you guys.
1: I mean, for every, every business, really, right? I mean, yeah. things are changing. I think even the coronavirus right now is going to alter how we do business, whether it's um, significantly large commercial real estate you know, development, right, where you've got 8,000 employees in the same building and, and how you work from home and what's important. So I think you know, this is going to change how we do business, every business going forward. And oh, I'm- absolutely you see it in your business, you know, you're probably just a lot more Zoom meetings, WebEx meetings, real estate, obviously, uh, you know, my wife's a real estate agent and how that uh, is evolving their, you know, how they are presenting homes, listing homes and uh, showing potential clients homes. It's, it's, it'll change the world or has.
0: Yeah, it has. I mean, it's, it's made well in the real estate industry, especially for like your wife, you know, it's all, it's all so virtual now. Um, I mean, it's still looking at homes and stuff, but it's different. You know, it's, um, it's definitely changed things quite a bit. Um, and it's going to continue. I I mean, I look at it kind of from like a a global perspective on just corporate America and, and friends and stuff like that working in in different industries. And, you know, there's going to be a lot more of this type of, of zoom or WebEx meeting stuff happening rather than, you know, the company credit card and traveling to Chicago to meet with a client. And then back the next day, you know, I think a lot of that stuff is going to start to slow down
1: yeah I think we all had the question could could the could you do business under these circumstances with these restrictions and the answer for the last ninety days has been forty five days has been yes you know can we maintain it and uh and can we and can we grow it i guess is the the, the unknowns
0: yeah yeah those are the unknowns and I think some of it probably stems to the comfortability piece, right? Like, especially, you know, guys like you and I who are in sales are so used to being relational and meeting with people face to face that the zoom stuff is, is definitely like a necessary part. Um, but I don't know if you're like me, but I'm, I'm anxious to be back into sitting across the table from somebody, you know, yeah. and having a coffee or some lunch or, you know, something like that.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's two types of businesses. There's the, you have your, uh, you have your customers that you probably have a personal relationship, you've done business in the past with them, and this type of uh, interaction is comfortable. They know you, they trust you. You're on a Zoom meeting, you're able to process their loans, or you're able to ever, and then, you know, if you're trying to get new business, it's extremely difficult, difficult I think, to uh, quickly develop a relationship with somebody over Zoom. I think it's yeah, easier and um, more expeditious if you're in front of somebody. Going to dinner, having lunch, you know, just sitting in the same room, you get a better sense of someone.
0: I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, well, we're we're going to be seeing ever-continuing changes, um, not only because of your industry, but, you know, because of this COVID-19 thing and stuff. Yes. Um, it's going to continue to evolve and change everything for all of us. Um, where do you see kind of the, um, the future of, um, I would say, like youngsters transitioning out of the military into corporate America, um, you know, going forward. I, I see a lot of um, people that they, they really are very nomadic and in, in they change from company to company and stuff like that. And you've been with your, your firm for 30 years, which is yeah. remarkable um, and definitely commendable. Um, but where do you see things if you were to kind of forecast for youngsters making that tra- transition one day from the military into corporate America?
1: Well, first off, I, you have to leverage the skills that you developed in the service. Those, that, that maturity, that accountability, those leadership skills, um, corporation, corporate America, small businesses, they're looking for that type of individual. Um, the reason I stayed with Data Endure for 30 years has been the stimulation. We've continued to evolve. Changed the product set, the strategies, the technologies. It's kept me stimulated, and uh, as it allowed me to stay where where I've been. Also, the opportunities for for financial and professional financial and professional growth. So you you know I've been stimulated mentally, um, and then I've had the opportunity to grow within the company and make more money because that's very important, right? You talk about financial security. You know that's the reason we work. We work for financial security for our families and 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 uh, to chart that path towards you know, uh, being able to leave a legacy potentially for your children and, and, uh, and for your family. So I think, you know, leverage those skills that you have in the military and, um, and then stay stimulated is the key, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. Um, what are some things, you know, as we, as we wrap up our, our session together, what is like a piece of advice that you might leave somebody, um, maybe that's at an upper echelon level in their company like you are to, that keeps you sharp and keeps you driven every day, you know, 30 years in the same industry. You know, I know I've been 19 years in my industry and, and there's times where I'm like, gosh, has it been 20 years yet? You know, like, yeah, um, yeah. you know, sometimes yeah. it wears you out, but, um, uh, uh, what, what would you say to somebody who, you know, is, is pushing the years in their field and, you know, there's, obviously more more tread left on the tire but um maybe not enough gas in the tank sometimes you know what what do you what do you
1: advise people well i get up every morning and um i still enjoy what i'm doing number one i'm 19 years you've got and you had the show i suspect you get up in the morning and you like what you're doing you're looking forward to the day Uh, obviously there's aspects in both of our days probably that we don't enjoy giving bad news to individuals or um you know laying somebody off or if it's, you know, professional related, but you know, you have to like what you're doing. hundred percent. Yeah. And and number two, there has to be some type of long-term goal. What are you looking for? What are you working for? Again, is it ultimate financial security for your family, leaving a legacy for your relatives, or is it retirement? You know, having a boat and uh, fishing throughout the day, there has to be an end goal, something that you look forward to, you know, your vision of the future. What is it? Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. That's that's sage advice. Um, um, very good. Well, uh, Dennis, um, I thank you for your service in the Navy. Um, definitely a, a cool job. Um, really <laughs> yes. cool job. And, um, and thank you for carving out some time for us on the Armed and Ready podcast. I think um, there's a lot that p- can be gained from, from this short episode with us together um, for anybody looking um, in making their transition into the corporate world. And just having some good nuggets of advice. I think it provided a lot of great value for people. Um, so Dennis, thank you so much for, for providing information and
1: spending a little time with us. I know you're busy. You're welcome. Chase. I really appreciate being on the show and uh, the opportunity to meet you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. And um, if anybody here listening is looking for a little additional information or to connect with us. Uh, visit at valoanguy.us and we can get you um, any information you want from this show or, or anything else. Um, So thank you all for stopping by and checking out another episode of Armed and Ready.